This is the Thorn Podcast, Performance Edition, the show that navigates the complex world of sports science and explores the latest research on diet, nutritional supplements, and the human body. I'm Joel Totoro, Director of Sports Science at Thorn. As a reminder, statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Thorn Podcast, Performance Edition. Joining me today are Olympic fencers Lee Kiefer and Garrick Meinhardt, two of the most decorated fencers with a combined six individual titles at the NCAA level and three Olympic medals, including Lee becoming the first ever American to win gold in the individual foil at the Tokyo Olympics. Lee, Garrick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Joel. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we always we always love talking to folks in our Thorn family, so uh, excited to, to uh, peek behind the curtains here a little bit, but... Um, all right. I know this is going to be a bit of a loaded question, but can you walk us through the journey, your journey into fencing, where it's taken you and kind of how you found Thorne along the way? Lee, let's start with you. I started fencing when I was seven years old. That was a long time ago. I'm now 28 years old. Um, I was thrown into the sport by my father, who was a walk-on in college. Um, he put me, my older sister, my younger brother, so yes, that was an interesting time growing up. We definitely fought with each other at practice, but we also became so close. And so for me, it was a family thing. I think when we were all young, we because we we're so competitive with each other, we were able to translate that to tournaments and had success at a young age. When I was 18, I competed in my first Olympics in London. From there, I went to college at Notre Dame. While I was there, I competed Rio 2016, came back to school, applied for med school, finished up my collegiate career. And this part is like a little bit tough for me to always say, but yeah, I did two years of competitive fencing and two years of medical school at the same time. And it was very traumatizing <laughs> at some points, but I was able to qualify for Tokyo, have a really amazing experience there. And then here I am um, still fencing, but on a leave of absence from med school now to finish up my fencing career. And then to jump back into my relationship with Thorne and where that started. I believe I was about 16. So at the time when I was starting to qualify for my first Olympics in London, we would, we as in the national team would visit the Olympic Paralympic Training Center and they would run um, labs on us just to see where our little high school <laughs> college bodies were at in terms of <laughs> nutrition, electrolytes, vitamins, etc. Um, I was definitely iron deficient at that point. So they recommended I started supplementing there. And they recommended Thorn. Um, so I started that. And then I also started taking um, protein shakes too, the Thorn ones, the whey isolate chocolate shakes, and been taking them ever since. I started fencing when I was nine and a half years old. My mom was classmates with um, someone who ended up marrying an Olympic fencer. And he was starting a youth club in San Francisco where I grew up. So Nine and a half years old, my parents kind of threw me into that. I had been taking piano lessons from my mom's classmates. So um, on Fridays specifically, 
I would get dropped off for my piano lesson. And then the fencing coach would drive me to fencing practice and we'd be in the car with his two kids who went on to both the Olympians and Army teammates now as well, which is great. So it was kind of a family uh, and close friend affair for me in a way, even though neither of my parents or my sibling fenced. Um, took me a lot of places like Lee. I was very fortunate to have success at a young age and get to start traveling internationally, compete on you know the cadet, which is the 17 and under and the junior, which is the 20 and under world teams and then eventually uh, qualify for my first Olympics when I was um, just under 18 as well. So around the same time as Lee, or same age as Lee at her first games. Uh, I went on to Notre Dame, and uh, after qualifying for my second Olympics, which were, were the London 2012 games, I was expecting to retire pretty soon. I had one year left of school, and I had already at that point had three surgeries on my knee um, and was planning to pursue a career in business. Um, but I continued to go to World Cups. I had one NCAA season left and vaulted to number one in the world and decided I can't retire at this point. So I kept going, um, tried to qualify for the 2016 games, which I was able to and thought I'd retire after that. Went for another one. Here I am in 2022 trying to go for my fifth games. And a big part of um, me being able to continue competing into my 30s has been a shift in my focus on, you know, keeping my body healthy, whether that's like recovery, strength and conditioning, eating, and very importantly, supplements, which is where Thorn has come in. And um, likely I had gotten labs. I've gotten labs at the Olympic Training Center for years, over a decade at this point. I really started using Thorne for all of my supplements starting in 2016, shortly after the Rio Games, because Thorne signed a partnership with USA Fencing, which was great for us to get exposure and to be able to use and learn about a lot of their products. And it's just been a big part of me being able to continue to be healthy. And like I said, Never would have dreamed that I'd be competing into my 30s, uh, let alone uh, going for my fifth games, well, uh, which time I'd, I would be 34. So uh, very happy to have Thorn be a part of that journey for me. We talked about, obviously, your amazing accomplishment, and it takes incredible effort to get to that pinnacle. But you've both been able to stay there for a long time. Garrick, you're, you're coming up on your fifth games. Can you talk a little bit about what it takes and how you've been able to ma maintain that level of expertise as long as you have? Lee and I have similar personalities. We're both very competitive and we're never really satisfied or content with our results. Like it's it's pretty interesting. Everyone sees our results, imagines that we're, that we're super confident all the time, super I don't know, maybe even cocky, which comes off sometimes when you watch like professional sports and like they get into it and that's just part of the the whole persona, but uh, we really are like often not satisfied or even if we get a good result, there, there are those things that bother us about our performance and that we can improve on. And I think that's something that's helped us like to continue ex to expand our game because especially once you get to the senior, which is the Olympic level, you're fencing so many people that have been around just as long as you that have studied you that have competed against you. And they're always finding, you know, your weaknesses, and you have to like, also be aware of what those weaknesses are so that you can improve on them and find different ways to be successful. And so I think that personality trait um, has helped us a lot. And then to be honest, some of the injuries that I have 
had over the years, I think forced me to work on different things and find different ways to, to win, even when I might be, you know, constrained as far as what I can do in certain situations. And, and so that's been really important as well for my development and, and is why I, I often recommend for young fencers at practice or young athletes to like, obviously they have an emphasis on winning because that is like a learned trait, like figuring out ways to win, but also at practice, sometimes it isn't the most important thing to only focus on winning because that may like put you in a box knowing that you can do this one thing against your opponent to win when really you could be diversifying your game and trying other things, even if it's not going to work right away or even, you know, within the first few times of trying it, you got to keep working on um, expanding your game so you can be successful um, in different in different situations. Yeah. So now uh, you mentioned briefly, you are both pursuing med school. Is that something you've always been interested or is that something kind of your experience in sport led you into kind of what drove that passion for you both? For me, I come from a family of physicians. My mom's a psychiatrist. My dad's a neurosurgeon. My grandma's a psychiatrist. Um, My sister's already an OBGYN. My brother's a med student. So everyone around me is in medicine. And growing up, I really looked up to my parents. Um, They worked so hard and they enjoyed their work and found a lot of satisfaction in being able to help people in the way they do. Um, So maybe it was brainwashing. Maybe I knew nothing else. But just from a young age, I was kind of thrown more into the science track versus, you know, arts or whatever else is out there. I still don't know. Um, I'm just (laughs) kidding. Um, (laughs) But when I was early in college and I was competing more serious, um, seeing high level athletes at my competitions, having more interaction with sports med team, I guess my own interest blossomed more just seeing how, for instance, Garrick, he was so injured with his knees and just the whole process of getting injured. And then, you know, the different people, like not only the doctors, but like physical therapists, et cetera, that it took to get him back so that he could keep going to reach his dream so I was like I would love to be part of the care team and I'm going to keep chugging along and (laughs) try to get into med school which was very hard as a student athlete (laughs) um so for me I've I've known for a while the opposite of Garrick (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I definitely have not been on the medic medicine track for for long um I was actually interested in medicine in high school a bit. Um, But then as I was deciding my major um, at Notre Dame, I thought that it would be too difficult to do pre-med while continuing to train and travel to international competitions as much as I was um, after having already been in my first games and wanting to qualify for another one. So I went into business and I really did enjoy my classes. And after graduating, I actually worked in business for a couple of years, loved my team um, and, you know, the environment that I had in consulting. But at the same time, um, something just felt 
a little lacking to me as far as what I wanted to do. And um, as I mentioned previously, I've had this strange journey with fencing and thinking that I was going to retire after the next games, going for another one. And um, at one point when I was pretty sure I was going to retire after Tokyo, I was I was just thinking about what I was going to do after and, and whether like the current track I was on was something that excited me. Um, and it, it really wasn't. And there was still that pool toward medicine for me. I think probably seeing Lee already in medical school and her family, um, it kind of reignited that passion that I had. And so before just dropping my, my everything and jumping into it, I, I definitely like shadowed a bunch, shadowed a bunch of her family, her family, friends and asked questions and, and got insight into like what they love about it, but also the things that really bother them or annoy them and, and um, that it isn't all pretty and, you know, glorious or anything like that. Um, but I, I decided I started two years before you. So he saw me go through the first part of med school. So he was prepared in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, the biggest hurdle at that point is I was late 20s. And it was obviously going to take a lot of backtracking to be able to even apply to medical school, since I didn't have any science prerequisites from college. Um, but with some help from Lee and, um, you know, speaking to other people, I decided there's plenty of time for me to work. Um, it's okay, like, to be later in my career or later in my life when I start my new career. So I, I decided to take all my science prereqs at the University of Kentucky, apply to medical school, and now I'm halfway through medical school um, and excited for um, my future profession. You guys are speaking 100% my language. One of the recurring themes on this podcast is the idea of human performance and uh, the fact that we get to work on both sides of it, right? Like treating the human while also looking at the kind of optimization side. We'll, we'll do this kind of two parts, uh, Garrick, and, and you've had some history of, of injuries. Is there anything you've applied from the sports world that kind of gives you a different lens in the medical world? And on the flip side, Lee, as you start digging into the medical side, are there any things you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense about what I was feeling or what I was doing during my early years of training? Yeah, I think that so far, I've only had two years of pretty much mostly just learning from books, <laughs> the, the, the science and, and all of that. But I just imagine that's something that I'm definitely going to take into it and, and having shadowed and um, been at the hospital seeing you know physicians later in their careers do this, it just makes me think about the fact that we are multiple time Olympians and both Olympic medalists. And like I said earlier, we're constantly trying to find new ways to improve and new things to learn. Uh, and that's important to our success. And I think that in the medical field, regardless of how many years you've been doing the same operation, and you know, regardless of how great of a physician you are, there are always things you need to learn and there are new new things coming out. And so it's that's going to be really important for us as we continue um, on this path. Uh, but also, I think it's been really important for us as athletes and especially as we've matured as athletes to lean on the people around us, whether that's, you know, it's it's been natural for us to uh, rely on our coaches since you're, since we were young, but bringing more people in to help us that have expertise uh, and that we can really count on, like our team physicians, the PTs, the nutritionists, the sports psychologists. There's so many people there and there's so many resources that 
as a young athlete, you're often think you don't need <laughs> and that like, you're fine. Like you don't need, we don't even need to stretch or warm up. But then like, as you get further in your career, you're like, oh, these are all super important things. And I think in medicine too, that's like, there's so much teamwork that people often don't see or patients, you don't, you often don't see as a patient, but um, you know, the physician working with the nursing staff and with, with everyone else um, behind the scenes is going to be very important. Yeah. I didn't mention this earlier, but with like our crazy fencing, trying to do med school at the same time and the pandemic, um, I actually completed like two thirds of my third year, which is the year that you start doing your clinical rotations and you're in the hospital. So from the question you asked for me, so I was on family medicine, internal medicine, psychiatry, and it's so crazy how simple things that seem obvious play such an important role in your health, like getting sleep, like someone comes in and it seems they have their lives are going terribly and like there's so many health problems, but sometimes you break it down into simple components like sleep, like are you getting sleep, like that plays such a big role in your mental health and like are you hydrating, that affects a lot of your electrolyte levels and that was a really surprising thing for me to see how like a lot of simple things play into the big picture of your health. And now that we're later in our careers, just having a big respect for the small things that can go into the longevity of our careers or even just being able to get a teeny bit better. <laughs> Yeah, I think you you bring up some some really good points, and it's things I, I talk about a lot. Is uh, there are some parallels between athletics and uh, the medical world? Well, specifically talents that translate. So you are competitive. You are always going to have this growth mindset, whether it's in your performance and in, in your skills or in your medical knowledge. And then understanding that, yeah, there is this team around me. Like I need to be expert at what I do. I need to be the best at what I can do. But there are this team of people I can rely on, and that's. That's to me where a lot of things happen. That's where things don't get missed. Like, the, you know, I've, you know, worked with a client forever. And then, then it came up like, oh, are you hydrating? Or what <laughs> is that little thing? And it's that foundational need that we're ignoring that has this whole cascade. So love to kind of hear that you guys, you guys got there faster than I did for sure in, in my journey. So uh, I think a lot of what you've talked about um, for you specifically, uh, for your performance and, and doing as, as well as you need to do in your professional life as you are in your, your personal life, but some of those things translate to kind of the general population. So what are kind of some of the, the things you've learned to kind of really support health, wellness, post-career? Like what are the things you guys are, are looking at as we transition into less less competitive fencing and more competitive uh, medicine? I think like what I, when other people ask me for a tip, like athletes or not athletes I feel like we're going to have to make like simple achievable goals because our time is filled with like a lot of fencing related physical related obstacles and when we go back to school like sometimes you're going to be at the hospital walking around all day a lot of times we're going to be just sitting on our computers staring at computer screens for hours upon hours what are some things that we can actually do to keep up with our health? Is this, you know, setting a goal of like going on a walk twice a week out 
you know, outside getting some sunlight. I think we're really going to have to like strip down what's achievable and then like slowly work from there rather than being like, we need to keep doing what we were doing while we were training for the Olympics, but like now start med school. Um, so being honest with ourselves, which I think will be really hard for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's going to be really crucial uh, for us. And it's definitely great advice for people in general. I think another thing that comes to mind for me is that like the health process can also be like a trial and error process. Like it isn't, you don't need to read like, oh, this article says I should do 30 minutes a day on the bicycle, like after work, like, no, maybe for you, you want to try like 15 minutes in the morning because you're more awake. And, and like after work, you're too tired to do anything. You just want to like sit in front of the TV, but like, you might try that. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't mean like there aren't other ways that you can find that fit you better. And so just doing something and doing little things, like, like Lee said, are great ways to like start building healthy habits. And then from there, once you achieve a small goal, maybe you like increase that to a couple times a day, a day, or maybe you, you know, add on like getting an extra half hour of sleep. Those are things that we will, as when we get back into medical school, we'll definitely have to remind ourselves of as well. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty uh, intuitive statement there. Uh, just like it's not like you walk into the training center and they're like, here's your fencing training program, right? It is so individual. So uh, it, it's really great to see the future of medicine kind of heading that way. And I think on that note, we're going to take a quick little break here and we come back. We'll have a couple questions from our audience and uh, look forward to continue the conversation. Want to stay up to date on the latest nutrition and wellness news? Head over to thorn.com and visit Take 5 Daily to sign up to have free wellness content delivered directly to your inbox. You'll get access to news, videos, and other expert insights covering everything from immune health, diet and lifestyle advice, and the latest wellness research in an easy-to-digest format. Visit thorn.com to learn more. That's T-H-O-R-N-E.com. questions from our audience so i think the first one uh we've had a couple people is is how do i find out more about fencing so um a little plug for ourselves we post a lot of stuff about fencing whether it's like obviously updates about uh, us going to tournaments um but also some of the basics about fencing and resources about where you can learn more so we'll share our social media information obviously with you joel um but also u.s fencing usa fencing on Instagram and um, other platforms, yeah, as well as their website has a ton of information about the sport of fencing, the rules, also like what um, our Olympians, our Paralympians and our youth um, fencers are doing here uh, in the country, also internationally. And um, there are tons of clubs like that you wouldn't know about maybe in the small city that one of your listeners might be in and that they never thought of. So um, that's definitely a place you can go to a usafencing.com to to see if there is a class near you to try it out and it's a really fun sport for people of all ages we know tons of adults that started at a late age and 
have a great group of friends that they go and, you know, after work and, and fence with once, once or twice a week and for exercise and also just something fun and new to, to learn. Yeah. So the follow-up question to that is uh, what skills do you need to transition to fencing from another sport or, or if you're just starting for the first time? So footwork is very important in fencing, being able to change direction and then having that element of explosion to be able to reach someone or get away from someone. Um, when we're not fencing, sometimes we like playing tennis together. It kind of has a similar feeling except for on a different plane. And then for fencing, we're very one side dominant, which might not be a good thing, but it's something that develops in a lot of combat sports. So I think that's something you can develop yourself if you join us. One thing that we both love about fencing is that, you know, it, it isn't one body type that is successful. Like you can be super tall, uh, but maybe you're a little bit slower than someone that's smaller and kind of like running all over the, the fencing uh, strip. Yeah, if you're um, tall, you can have like a really long reach, hit someone from really far away. And then if you're my size, like 110 pounds and five foot four, people will hate trying to hit you because your target's really small. So I, I think that's just another thing that's really great about fencing and um, that there are you can you can show up and obviously you need to learn the basics like we said the footwork and the fundamental skills but then from there it's like what can you do to be successful given your strengths and your weaknesses and and there are that's that's the fun you know mental thing and strategic thing um that y you can figure out and and find ways to be successful despite you know some of the physical traits you you might have yeah and then even people if they're not like short and fast or like tall with a long reach, like other people are like really physically strong with their arm too. So like their defense and their ability to do like fast hand work too. So it's not just like two body sizes and shapes too, like a wide range. You're able to put together really nice, really nice formula in different ways. That's great. It sounds like a, it's a sport everybody could have a, a little bit of fun doing. This one's a, a kind of easier, lighter one. So the question is, what's your favorite city to compete in? And then as a dietitian, I'm going to throw in, uh, what's your favorite city to eat in? So first, I'll go with my favorite city to compete in. Uh, I'll actually be going there next month for this tournament, but it's Paris. France has such a history with fencing. And then on top of it, they're so great at throwing competitions and events. It's always a spectacle. Like, the, the stands in the stadium are always packed. There's so many young fencers that are excited, running around, trying to get autographs from every fencer and every coach, even if they don't know who they are. It's just a, it's just a great environment. Uh, and the favorite city to eat in would probably be um, Seoul. We have a tournament in Korea most years. And I love Korean barbecue, just, you know, throwing that meat on the grill, maybe some lettuce to wrap it on the side, all the little sides. Um, with like the kimchi and the pickled vegetables it's just it's it's right up my alley yeah i i agree with garrick food wise we love the asian countries so tokyo sometimes we get to go to and seoul and it's just so delicious and vibrant it's amazing and you're throwing in some fermented uh fermented products in there with the kimchi so we're helping with yeah. that love to hear it uh, <laughs> 
Uh, you guys talked a little bit about this earlier and, and I kind of want to dig into it. You know, we see a lot, you talked a little bit about, you see the athletes in the social media and kind of the quote unquote perfection, but you guys have both been really introspective with yourself and realizing like, Hey, I need to, if I want to be the best at my performance, I may not be able to give everything to my medical studies and making that decision to take that pause. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, having to come to that decision and and the way you went about that? I know it's always struggle for anyone to be like, no, I'm doing enough. Our original thought was that we had to retire from fencing at this point. Our, you know, our medical school has been like so supportive and so understanding, but like being in med school is a full-time job and then trying to be an athlete who's like traveling and training and doing all the right things is also a full-time job. So for me, my first two years of medical school were plagued with a lot of mental health challenges, including anxiety and depression. And I've talked about it before, um, but I knew I couldn't do both. When I, and I knew like, six months before Tokyo, like I had not reached like my full potential with this sport. And so then I started panicking. I was like, what do I do now? Like I can't go back and keep funding. I knew that was not possible for me, especially when you're doing rotations to your full time um, versus like doing remote because of the pandemic with your um, foundational sciences. So for me, I was like, I'm the kind of person who just like marinates on something and gets a little bit stressed. And then I talked to some people, they're like, you just need to make a plan and you just need to talk to people and ask what's possible. And I was like, that sounds so scary, but I'm going to try. And people often want you to succeed. They want to help you. And so we had a really great open conversation um, with the administration and made a plan of how we're going to come back to school and what the timeline and challenges and the benefits look like. But it was really scary. So any decision is really scary, but it was the best decision for us. Yeah. And Joel, you alluded to it um, that on social media, people often see like us when we post about doing well at a tournament, you know, when an athlete has other things going great in their life. And, and they, they think that like for us being in medical school and being Olympic fencers is, you know, incredible. And also something that's just like, we're superheroes and we did it and it's not hard. And maybe even like anyone can do it and it won't be hard. I don't know, but um, that definitely isn't the case. And it's something that we try to communicate and, and get across is that like, it has been a huge struggle. And that's why now we're on a leave of ab absence from medical school, because we we physically um, and mentally like wouldn't have been able to handle doing both um, the next two years. And so something that we kind of have to keep reminding ourselves and had to keep reminding ourselves as we were like trying to do both was that like you said, it's just sometimes doing your best is enough. And um, you, we may, we're still going to be disappointed like when we get back a test score and it's not as high as we wanted. But at the same time, like, what could we possibly have done? You know, at, at this point, what can you do besides like knowing that you put the hours in for studying and 
Um, maybe you had to make a sacrifice because in our situation, we also had a tournament that we were, that we really cared about. And, um, sometimes I think having like two passions is an okay thing. As long as you're, um, as long as you accept that you're doing your best. Um, yeah, no, I think that's, that's as many gems as we've heard in this, this conversation, I think that's one of the strongest ones is, is stopping and looking at everything you are doing right like you're excelling so many different places like uh what's realistic and what's what's really not so i really love that guy it's a very healthy aspect and i'm glad you've got the support around you to make those decisions and uh, i think it's just important for everybody to hear um i would like to add one thing to that too it kind of sounds like we are sacrificing our medical education like to pursue fencing and like that's a big reason why we went on our leave of absence it wasn't just because it would have been too hard to do both it's also like we want to be good physicians and care for our patients obviously like that is hugely important and continuing like moving into our rotations and going to these tournaments would have been a huge sacrifice as far as our medical education goes and that's not something we wanted to do um so that's i just want to add that in there that it is like while having two passions is important like being realistic about like what you get out of it and and um is also like an important piece to that yeah and i think that's a really good summary i always i always say uh uh yes if or no unless right yes i could do this if this is true or no unless this happens uh i can't be the me i want to be for everything i want to do so uh yeah it's you know it's it, it takes a lot of uh, maturity and growing up to get there, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's such an important message. Um, and then I guess kind of that wisdom kind of leads me into our, our second to last question is, is what have your previous uh, Olympics uh, changed about how you're preparing for Paris in, in 2024? I had a lot of trouble after the Rio Olympics. I think I didn't mentally prepare myself um, to enjoy the process. I would, I kind of went into it being like, I'm ranked really high in the world. I probably won't be fencing after this. Like this is my time to get a medal. And I didn't get a medal and I didn't fence. I wanted to fence. And so I was, I was truly devastated for like a year. Um, so going into Tokyo, also in the context of the pandemic, we don't know the games are happening. A lot of our, opportunities that we're looking forward to like training internationally and you know fencing without like a mask on under our mask like a lot of things were different but we had such a healthy mindset of like training and enjoying the people around us that I think going into the games and even at the games in this very unique environment like we loved every second of it so each Olympics is different, but I think I learned a lot from Rio and I loved the journey to Tokyo. So I think I'm going to take more from that process to put into this one. Yeah, I think Lee definitely like recapped that perfectly as far as our time at the games. Hopefully we'll qualify for the next one. Um, and if we do, like the success of that games isn't going to ride solely on like how we do, whether we win gold, it's a lot of enjoying the process and the opportunity that we have to be there and meet these people and compete. And we're going to definitely compete and fight, you know, our hearts out and do everything, everything we can to win. Um, but at the same time, like all the other stuff is super important and not only that, 
those two weeks of being at the Olympics are going to dictate like whether this journey was successful either. It's also like this time that we have during our leave of absence. Like, are we doing everything we can to set ourselves up for that? Are we enjoying the process of training and traveling um, to prepare for that and to hopefully qualify? Like, these are all things that will go into like our outlook later on this whole quadrennial and, you know, really our whole fencing careers. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, you, you, you do have to take time and, and enjoy what you've done. You know, I mean, the the ability to represent the United States as, as many times as you had. I mean, it's it's an amazing uh, opportunity that very few people get to have. So uh, we definitely wish you the best and can't wait to watch your journey on your way to 2024. So uh, last question, question we ask kind of everybody. If you had to pick one supplement, you could never skip. I would say mine's magnesium. What's your, what's your kind of ride or die supplement? I would have to say... My iron supplement when I need it, when my labs show that it's low, because I notice like the fatigue element is so huge in my training and my competition and even just being able to function in day to day. Like it's such a game changer. <laughs> and for me, it's easily like the whey protein isolate, you know, my chocolate protein shakes after my workouts are something I'm always looking forward to. Not only, you know, like the moment of drinking it, but just like sometimes I'm even like, oh, I can't wait to work out tomorrow so that I can have my protein shake after. And it's just, it's, you know, it's a whole part of the, the process that makes it more enjoyable. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, training just to get your thorn protein. That's, yeah. uh, that's a snippet we'll, uh, we'll have to cut and use. That. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I really appreciate the time. You guys have been great to talk to. And I know we could have this conversation for hours, but Lee, Garrick, uh, we mentioned earlier, where can our listeners uh, find you on Instagram? Yes, my handle is my name, Lee, L-E-E, to the, my last name, Kiefer, K-I-E-F-E-R. And my handle is Garrick Meinhart. Um, and hopefully that'll be written somewhere because both first and last names are difficult to spell, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely make sure to throw that in the show notes for sure. <laughs> uh well again uh man excellent that was great i really appreciate the time and uh yeah we uh we wish you the best on your way to paris in 2024 thanks everyone for listening thanks for listening to the thorn podcast performance edition make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice you can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news videos and stories on thorns take five daily blog for this performance edition of the Thorn Podcast, I'm Joel Totoro, reminding everyone to stay active and stay hydrated.